Also, as you see our candle here again, we're continuing this uh, series on the audience of one. Speaking of God being our singular focus, going back to the idea of Soren Kierkegaard's uh, image, that drama is God is the audience and we are the players and the worship leaders are only just the, the prompters in that whole event. We've looked at the need for worship. We've looked at music and worship. Pat led us in both of those. We've looked at fellowship and worship, which Scott led us in last week. And this morning, we're going to be looking at prayer and worship. And I really pray that as we spend these moments talking about this very important time that we spend together on Sunday mornings and other times during the week, maybe, I pray that more and more and more, God might be that audience of one. And then as Scott prayed in our uh, prayer of intercession today, one of our active elders, Ava Menman, died this week on Wednesday. Ava uh, was the champion and, and really the chair of uh, Vision 2020. She put her heart and soul into it. Ava was also one of the founders of the Heartland Film Festival, and that has been a, one of her passions through the years. We are so grateful for her, and we're going to miss her dearly. There will be a memorial service for her next Saturday at 1.30 right here in this place, and then there will be a calling ahead of time at 12.30. So we wanted you to know that and, uh, and wanted you to know um, that uh, we are going to dearly, dearly miss her. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we come to you on this glorious fall morning, we come to you thanking you for who you are. You are a great God. You are the creator of everything. And you have made us just as we are. And God, we come to you with gratitude and thanksgiving for the life and the ministry of Ava Memon among us and for so many others who have been so important in the life of our church family. I pray that you would be, as Scott has already prayed, with her family during this season of loss. And God, as we spend these moments together, may they not be just moments in which we go through the motions. This is what we're supposed to do at this time. There's supposed to be a sermon. But I pray that in a way that's far beyond my doing, that your spirit might speak to each one of us as individuals and that your spirit might speak to us as a community of faith. Speak to the preacher and the people alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I mentioned just a little bit earlier that uh, just returned from uh, a mission trip to Romania. How many of you have gone to Romania? I know a few of you have, and this has been a wonderful uh, partnership here with this particular congregation. Well, I went with Betty Sulafoon, Dave and Joan Gall, and then Alice and I. And uh, we had a chance to spend some time in an orphanage that ZPC has helped to start and, and to work with. We also spent some time with a very creative drug addiction program and uh, for young people. They actually have five centers now in, in Romania. Uh, we spent time at a church a couple of Sundays ago where I had a chance to preach and we worshiped with them, uh, a church that we partnered with in building the facilities. But our main purpose in going was to speak to a group of pastors and their wives. And it was, it was a great experience as, 
Alice uh, and Betty Sue and Joan spoke to the wives, and I had a chance to speak to the pastors. And since it was the second largest turnout that that group has ever had in the decade that that conference has been held, the meeting room was jammed when we first met together to worship. And even though my Romanian is limited to two or three words, and I'm not even too sure of the pronunciation of those, I was deeply moved as we sang together. Some of the hymns or the songs were familiar, at least the tunes were, and some were unfamiliar, but there was a passion. There was a joy as people lifted their voices and their hearts in song. Then there was an open time of prayer in that worship service. Both men and women stood and prayed out loud, and others all around us were responding with, Muecha Amin. Muecha Amin Domini. Those are the words I know. And we give thanks. We give thanks, God. As we focused in God in prayer, it felt as if the barrier of different languages melted away. We were knit together by the Holy Spirit who indwelled each of us. And even though the church in Romania has gone through some very difficult times and many of those people were old enough to experience the communist regime there, there was a deep sense of joy at being together as the family of faith. And to go a step further, if in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel brought the the confusion of languages, then it seemed to me that Pentecost undid that. Pentecost reversed that. When the Holy Spirit came, they were all able to understand in their own language what was taking place. Well, I don't understand the words, I didn't understand all the words being spoken. It felt as if the Spirit was allowing us to communicate with God and with each other as we prayed together to that audience of one in that worship service. It seems to me that as we gather here today, as we gather here every day to worship, like we're doing here this morning, the Holy Spirit does the same thing with us. Oh, we're coming from different situations in life. We're coming from different seasons in life for sure. But as we gather together, it's the Holy Spirit who knits us together especially as we pray. And I believe that we're never closer to each other than when we are praying to the God who created us, the God who has given us everything. From the beginning of time, prayer has been at the very center of the worshiping of the Creator God. There's a classic formula in prayer which most worship experiences have patterned themselves after. The template is an acronym, ACTS, and most of you know what that means probably. Adoration, expressing our gratitude for who God is. Confession, realizing who God is, that we're very small and puny and wayward, we've sinned. And then thanksgiving, giving thanks for all that God has given us, the good life and all the things, even the bad things that happen to us, realizing that God is the one in control. And then supplication, interceding for others and for their needs, as well as bringing our deepest concerns to God. Today I want us to look together at a very special passage of Scripture. 
a passage that I've preached on in the past, not here, but in other places, but I've always looked at it individually. I've always looked at it as kind of a personal thing. But when I got into it this time, I saw that there are three imperatives, and those three imperatives in this passage in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, are in the plural, meaning that it's very applicable for us in corporate worship as we share moments like these together. I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, with me and keep it open during uh, the whole time that we're sharing today because I'm going to be referring to different pieces. Whenever I look at uh, uh, the, the letter, Paul's letter to the, the Philippians, I have a really warm feeling. Uh, it's, it's been a very special book to me in the past uh, with many nuggets of truth and of wisdom and of inspiration. Paul is writing while he's in prison. He's imprisoned in Rome under house arrest at this time. And when I think of the Philippians, I think of a time when I was with a group of people there just outside of the ruins of Philippi. It was at the very same place probably that uh, Paul met Lydia, the, the businesswoman, and who became a leader of the church. And also it was at the very same place where probably the Philippian jailer and his whole family were baptized a few days after his meeting with Lydia. It was at a place where many of the people in our group renewed their baptismal vows in a very special, meaningful service of worship. So Philippians is a very important book to me. If you would, follow along with me as I read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And some of you maybe have even memorized this passage in the past. It's a wonderful one to memorize. Listen now. For the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing, his understanding, his application to this, the reading of his word today. As we look at this in verse 4, we find that Paul says, Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. There must be joy in our prayers as we worship. Rejoicing in the Lord is akin to adoration. It has the idea of expressing our deepest gratitude to God for who God is in our world and in our lives. This joyful gratitude should be expressed in all circumstances, all times, all places. When things are going well and we feel satisfaction in what is taking place, we must rejoice in the Lord. When life is somewhat bland and we feel as if we're in a rut, we must rejoice in the Lord. When life is difficult and we're discouraged, we must rejoice in the Lord. When we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we must rejoice in the Lord. In each and every situation, we must rejoice in the Lord who is unchanging, The Lord who is all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, and we could go on and on. 
God deeply desires to be alongside of us in every situation, bringing us exactly what we need. And furthermore, even in the toughest times, God wants to teach us lessons which can help us grow and mature if we have an attitude of gratitude and are attentive to his voice. Paul wants to emphasize the importance of rejoicing here as he writes, I will say it again, rejoice, when biblical scholars said, for Paul to repeat twice in this verse, to rejoice must mean that the conditions in Philippi were such as to make the call to rejoice seem unreasonable. Paul is in prison, but he can rejoice. The church may be embroiled in persecution and all kinds of other struggles, but they can rejoice. There must be joy in all circumstances and situations. Now, joy is different than happiness. Happiness really is dependent upon our external circumstances. But joy comes from deep within us as a fruit of the Spirit and can be and should be in the midst of everything. As I reflect upon worship experiences that I've had a chance to be a part of in the past, some of the ones filled with the greatest sense of joy have come in the most difficult moments. As I was thinking about that, I reflected upon one that took place many years ago in the first church I served. It was in a memorial service after a very tragic situation. I had the privilege of meeting uh, a man in his middle 30s. He was dating a woman from our church. He had not married earlier because he had promised his father, just before his father died, that he would take care of his younger brothers and sisters. So it was in his mid-30s that the last brother or sister graduated from high school, and he felt that he could marry. He fell in love with and, and married a woman from our congregation. I had the privilege of meeting with him several times before the wedding and had the privilege of leading him into a faith in Jesus Christ. That wedding was very, very special, and I greatly cherished participating in it. But not long after they returned from their honeymoon, he was at work as a hog buyer in the stockyards of East St. Louis. He was senselessly shot and killed by a group of troubled young men. As you can imagine, everyone was shocked. Everyone was deeply grieved. Yet I will never forget in his memorial service, it was filled with pray prayers of rejoicing in the midst of horrible sorrow. We rejoiced in the Lord who had drawn my friend to himself and that he was now eternally present with this Jesus in whom he had placed his faith. This week I've been listening to a book that a friend of mine recommended to me. It's called The Harbinger by Jonathan Kahn. Some of you maybe have read it. It talks about a lot about the 911 disaster in New York City and in Washington and in Pennsylvania. It sent my mind reeling back 11 years ago in September. I spent 12 hours in the worship center at the Southport Presbyterian Church that day. I prayed with person after person, family after family, group after group who came in. Some of them were panicked. Many of them were feeling guilty and feeling like the world was coming to an end. There was all kinds of frustration and fear. And yet we were able to pray, even in the midst of situation like that, with a sense of joy realizing that God would be with us no matter what happened 
in this world around us. In whatever situation we find ourselves, we can experience joy. Is there a sense of joy in our prayers and worship today? We come here from many mindsets, brought on by many life situations. Maybe some of you are in pain today. Last Tuesday I was with a, a, at a meeting and we had a, a small group that prayed and two of the, the, the five people in our group had very severe back pains and were probably going to be in need of surgery. And even though there was pain etched on their faces and in their eyes, there was joy. As a church family, we feel a deep sense of loss as an active elder, Ava Memon, has died after several days of frustration and pain. But we rejoice in the Lord, believing with all of our hearts that she is now present with the Lord and completely healed in a way she would have never been here on this earth. In whatever situation we may find ourselves, we are called to rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Our prayers must be filled with joy. Joy to the Lord who today and every day we worship together. When our prayers are filled with this kind of joyful adoration, the next imperative should also be natural. He says in verse 5, there must be a genuine gentleness evident to all, and I believe we can say in our prayers, for the Lord is at hand. The Greek word for gentleness here is among the most difficult to translate from the Greek to the English. The great Scottish biblical scholar William Barclay sheds light on its meaning when he writes, gentleness is the quality of the man who knows that rules and regulations are not the final word. It is the quality of the man who knows when not to apply the letter of the law. Then he gives the illustration of the woman who was taken in adultery when she was brought to Jesus. Jesus could have applied the letter of the law and she should, according to it, have been stoned. But he went beyond justice. The word gentleness in the Greek has the idea of forbearance, treating one another with grace and not a sense of legalism. Well, it doesn't mean that we're permissive, rationalizing away wrongdoing. It does mean that we're genuinely caring for the persons around us while not condemning, while not condoning their sin. The motivation for this kind of gentleness is the Lord is near. The same Lord who has forgiven us and showered us with his grace. And there's also the idea that the Lord is near in the sense that he's going to return and we should be ready for that and shouldn't be caught being critical and judgmental toward those who are around us. I fear that we as conservative Christians often don't show this kind of gentleness toward one another. We self-righteously hold grudges. We're critical of people who don't keep the letter of the law. Instead of graciously drawing people back into the fellowship with our Lord Jesus and back into the body of Christ, we want them to get the punishment which they deserve. Somehow I believe Jesus would say to us, as he said in Matthew 7, 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Our prayers together in worship must be filled with gentleness, laced with grace, 
realizing that the Lord, our audience of one, is near. Do you feel that sense of, sense of gentleness and compassion for others as we pray together in this worship space today? Listen to the next imperative for our prayers and worship. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Did you pick up on that contrast between anything and everything? You might say, Paul, that's not realistic. Don't be anxious about anything? Sure. That's easy for you to say, Paul, you weren't married. That's easy for you to say, Paul, you didn't have the pressures and responsibilities that I have. You don't have to clothe and feed a family. You don't have older parents to take care of. You don't have a boss like mine, Paul. You don't face the peer pressure that I face on a daily basis at school. You don't have the temptations. You didn't have them, the kind that I have that are pulling at me every day. Well, before we write off Paul as being some ancient who didn't know what's going on in our world, maybe we ought to look a little more closely at his life. <laughs> he was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten and thrown in jail. He was shipwrecked. Every time he turned around, there was a vicious opposition from the very people that he'd grown up with and that he'd even studied with. And by the way, where is Paul when he's writing this? He's incarcerated, not knowing if the next moment he may be executed. Oh, I believe instead of questioning Paul's imperative, do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with everything to come to God in prayer, his experience in his life validates this right to speak into our lives. Again, this is written in the plural. And listen closely. I believe it's applicable for us as we worship as a family of faith today. In this season of transition and uncertainty, as we evaluate our relationship with our denomination, at the same time preparing to search for a senior pastor, it's easy to be anxious. And I've heard so many of you talk about that's your greatest concern right now. It's easy to be anxious about attendance figures. It's easy to be anxious about the financial future. Stepping into the unknown and the uncertainty of the future naturally causes us to be anxious. But Paul emphatically makes the case that we can bring everything to God everything to God in prayer. While Paul uses three words for his conversation with God, he talks about prayer, petition, and requests. They all blend together as we bring our deepest needs and concerns to the awesome creator God who knows us even better than we know and understand ourselves. These prayers as we worship are for ourselves, for others, for our church, for our world, for our mission partners, for our enemies, for our leaders, and the list goes on and on and on as we think about those for whom we pray. There's nothing we can't bring to God in prayer. Nothing too big and nothing too small. He says everything. When we come to our audience of one in worship, we come with great humility, realizing how great he is and how small and puny we are. Well, God already knows our needs, concerns, fears, and sources of anxiety. We need to bring them to him and lay them before him. I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. 
If this is God's will for us, and this is our will for our situation, then prayer brings our will to coincide with God's will. Now sometimes, frankly, I don't want my will to coincide with God's will. I've got something down here that I feel desperately concerned about. And yet prayer, as I come to him in prayer, it makes that adjustment. Also, it helps me to accept as I pray and share things with God. It helps me to accept those things that I really don't want, even though they may be God's will. As a church, I believe we must ask the question, are we anxious today? Are we uptight and stressed about something which we can't control? I challenge you right now in this service of worship to bring it to our audience of one and leave it with him. Don't come back in after we're finished today and take that which you've left and pick it back up again. Take it to God in prayer and leave it there. As a church, we must, have, we must take the good and the bad of our past and leave it with God as we come to the unknown of the future. Being duly anxious about the future will not make the future better, and it could make it worse. When prayer is seen in this light, according to one biblical scholar, it is not glib to say that anxiety is an attempt to carry the burden of the present and future by oneself. Prayer is yielding it to and leaving it in the safe hands of God. Paul says that all of our prayer must be within the context of thanksgiving. It's not easy to be thankful in all circumstances. We all know that. But when we pray with thanksgiving, it takes our eyes off of ourselves and focuses our attention on the giver of all good gifts. Now we're told that the result of these three imperatives lived out in our lives is that the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we worship here today and every time we gather, our prayers should be filled with rejoicing, with gentleness, with thanksgiving. When we are obedient in these imperatives, we experience a sense of peace, a peace that surpasses our understanding. And Paul uses a military term here when he says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and mind. It has the idea of garrison, completely surround our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is, it surrounds our center of reason and our center of emotions so that we can experience a sense of tranquility even though the world around us is filled with fury and confusion. It's kind of like the eye of a hurricane. The wind and the rain around us may be wreaking havoc in the most destructive manner, but in the eye of the hurricane, we experience peace. Time and time again, I believe that God uses our worship experience here as we bring our lives to him in thanksgiving and in prayer to be a time when he brings us his peace. Peace is the antithesis of anxiety. There's a deep sense of relief, a sense of well-being, which permeates our total self when we pray with rejoicing. 
with gentleness and thanksgiving to our audience of one. Just for a moment, this was Alice's idea, and I think it was a good one. When I was, when I was anxious about how to speak about anxiety, she said, try this one on for size. She says, what if we never prayed in worship? What would that experience be like? Well, if prayer is all about our relationship with our great God, sharing our adoration, our confession, our thanksgiving, and our concerns with God, wouldn't our worship be empty without those elements of prayer? I mean, maybe it would be another self-help gathering. Maybe it would be a meeting where we were motivated. Possibly it would be just an educational time when we gain knowledge and insights about our lives. It could be a traditional celebration where we go through some time-honored motions. But without our personal and group communication with the living creator God, our audience of one, our worship is lifeless with very little meaning. Oh, dear friends, as we move into the uncertainty of the future, are you filled with anxiety and fear? If so, let's take Paul's letter to the Philippians seriously. In these moments, let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray for others with a real sense of gentleness and compassion, with thanksgiving. And let us bring all of our requests and petitions to the Lord. Oh, dear friends, believe the good news that in place of anxiety, God promises to guard, to garrison, to surround our hearts and minds with his peace. And oh, that's a peace that transcends our understanding and our ability to produce on our own. If you would like to pray with someone afterwards, maybe there's something that that you're really struggling with and you'd like to pray with someone. There will be someone over in the alcove, over by the cross afterwards, and they would consider it a privilege to listen to you and then to pray with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this wonderful passage. It's a passage which has been around for over 2,000 years. It's a passage, though, that seems so very relevant to where we live today. I thank you for Paul's situation, even though it was a difficult one. Thank you that uh, his life validated these words. His experience made these words come alive and are authentic to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be people of prayer, especially as we worship together. I thank you so much for each of my sisters and brothers gathered here today. Pray that you'd go with them this week. Help them to depend upon you in every moment of their lives. I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.